Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. And thank you, thank you once again. We are back, hour number two here. And again, uh, I am so thankful for uh, my friend Pete Woods, who uh, we came in contact with a number of years ago. And Peter just said to me in passing, he said, uh, you, you suppose there'd be any interest to having me come on your show once in a while uh, to talk about the logging industry? Uh, because at that time, I had mentioned to him, I think, at, at some point that you know, the steel industry in northern Minnesota has their own show every week on television. and But logging never gets the kind of uh, publicity about what it provides to the Northland. And thank God that Peter Wood has taken the act upon his shoulders to uh, prepare once a month a show that people love to hear. Pete Wood, thank you. Well, thank you, Brad, and folks out there listening. I appreciate that. Extremely kind words, and when I got into this, I really didn't know what I was getting into, and I'm glad I did because I don't think I would have started, because it's, it's been a <laughs> heck of a long ride, let me tell you that. But uh, uh, I do appreciate it, folks, that you're taking the time to listen, and, and, and I, I want to start out by just a few things here real quick, and we're going to get to Tom here out of Texas. But okay. the, the very first time I ever saw panic buying in my life was actually in 9-11. I never saw panic buying before, and I didn't know what it was. And I remember going to town and, and seeing at a gas station that would normally have one or two cars at it, maybe. It had probably eight cars. And I thought, that's weird. Somebody die or something like that? And you just go on and you don't think nothing of it? Then you get to the next gas station, and there's way more at that one as well. And I thought, what's going on? Then you find out people are panic buying, necessity buying. And what happens, yep. folks will go back to their, the, not accessory, but they will go back to necessity buy, and that's why you're having yes. whenever it gets a little bit exciting about the covid toilet paper disappears all of a sudden it just vanishes keep buying the toilet paper because we're going to keep making it and there's plenty of trees out there folks plenty of trees <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and we're going to keep growing them they're going to keep coming and and i had this thought a while ago to to get it from a longer's point of view but i always wanted to how can i how can i get to talk to the folks out there what it's like from a, a, somebody else to see what loggers are actually like and not come from me. And that's how it came up yeah. with, I, I was introduced to Tom Hurt uh, via phone from DK Knight, from uh, the publisher, and I gave Tom a call, and Tom is out of Texas. He's, he's sold equipment all over the North America. Actually, Tom, you sold it all over the world. You can probably name it, and he's probably sold equipment there. And so... <laughs> He's got a first-hand basis of actually, from his shoes, what it's like to deal with loggers. And loggers, this is and, for you as well today. Exactly. You know, and Tom Hurt uh, is joining us this morning from Dallas, Texas, where he has been 44 years uh, selling equipment to the logging industry. Tom Hurt, welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to join you guys. This is a, a treat for me, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> well, Peter, Peter, I don't want to steal your thunder this morning, but I thought with the day before Thanksgiving, you might enjoy this. I got the most stunning email from a listener the other day, Charles. I'm not going to give his last name, but he said, Brad, I really have enjoyed your logging show over the years, and I want to tell you, 
some of the loggers in the Northland are the nicest people on earth. And I want to just tell you two quick stories. When my father was alive, him, myself, and my mother were driving on County Road 4 from Duluth to Whiteface Campgrounds, pulling our scamp trailer. The hitch on the trailer fell apart. The safety chain failed. Their camper trailer ended up in the ditch. A logging truck came along. Seeing my parents were in distress, he pulled over to help. The driver volunteered to use his hydraulic log loading arm to pull the camper back onto the road, and he did. My father was able to pull it slowly to a residence in Markham, of which the man living there was also a logger, but welded on the side and welded the hitch back onto the trailer. The big thanks to Americans helping Americans. Every uh, every year I think about that when I drive north to the range. So there wow. you go. I mean, this is just the kind of thing. Yeah, loggers are loggers, but they're human beings, and they help out so many people in the Northland. Wow. If I could, after the show, get that guy's address, I want to send them a couple of T-shirts. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that's special. I, I want to thank him somehow because that's really special. And 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 from and the folks out there listening, I should start giving out more because the, it's one. Of, that's my fault more than anybody's. But we should. I should start giving out at least a couple every show if possible, Brad. And I'll have to work on that with you how we can do that. But let's. Uh, I want to get okay. his address in that and send him a couple. Okay, if that would be possible. You got it. I'll make sure yes, you get it. Special. But uh, from Tom, that's why that's why I wanted Tom to come on and, and talk about what it's like dealing with actual dealing with loggers. So it isn't filtered through me. It's actually right from somebody whose eyes and ears and, and toe, boots have been out on the ground. And Tom actually has lived quite the colorful life. Actually, Tom, could you tell a little bit about your past? And uh, that's pretty interesting. And then we'll get into the Canadian and Mexican and uh, Russia. What it's like to deal with, and uh, mostly the United States. What it's like dealing with these folks. Yeah, sure. I, my daughter, my daughters would disagree with you that I'm an interesting guy, but I appreciate your saying that. Um, I have uh, I've gotten into the industry uh, in '76 and um, uh, got in with a small uh, a small company, a little company in my hometown back in Danville, Illinois, and uh, got into sales a little bit, uh, selling ground engaging tools. Some of it had some had to do with forestry with grapples and other bunchers. And then evolved over to a company called Barco Hydraulics. And uh, right. you guys know those guys up in Duluth. And uh, yes. so I have traveled up there, and uh, I, have, I have seen what snow really looks like. And uh, the, um, from there, I've uh, evolved to uh, multiple other companies where I was in sales management, traveled a lot, uh, always have been a, a guy who felt that even with the Internet, the, the best way to know people is uh, face-to-face, handshake kind of a thing, and I still do that today. I think Pete, we talked yesterday, and I was on my way back from Indiana uh, driving across uh, Missouri, uh, seeing the logger over there on a couple of projects. So anyhow, that's uh, kind of in a nutshell. I've just always been involved, and since uh, 07, uh, I, I kind of evolved into my own company called FSK, which uh, I do some consulting work with manufacturers. I'm involved with Delfab over in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, we're bringing the three-wheeler back to the market. And uh, I oversaw that project when I was with Balmet and Komatsu. And uh, uh, when Komatsu left them hanging, we got back involved with that. So I had some good equipment exposure with those guys. But the used equipment market was something that we found was um, 
needing needing a little bit of help with some of these contractors. And uh, the more I delved into it with dealers that I knew, they had equipment that was on their yards that they didn't know how to sell, and I had access to people all over the world just from my travels. So it kind of evolved that way. And um, uh, in traveling all those places, you you get a chance to meet all the different kinds of loggers that are out there. And you made, a, I think you made a good comment there, Pete, and uh, Brad, you alluded to it also. And these guys, loggers are a real interesting breed of people, but they are, you should probably have, if you look up the word American in the dictionary, it ought to show a logger. These guys are just pure, and they're independent, and they know what a hard day's work is. They don't know what it is to turn their back on a friend. I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive, and it, it, it falls across every, you know, every type of logger I've, I've encountered in my lifetime. And uh, they're warm, they're personable. If, if you are, uh, if you put out a good warm handshake to them, they will, they will extend the same to you and tell you about their lives. And they're also interested in yours. It's, it's fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I was so moved by the couple of emails I got about loggers uh, from this Charles this morning, but he was absolutely right. They'll go out of their way to help you if you need help, if they've seen that you've had difficulty, because they're just human beings. They're the salt of the earth, and they work hard for a living, and most people forget about them, don't they, Pete? Yeah, that's that's partially our own fault because we like to be left alone. That's why I call us the hidden industry. We're always out in the woods. You don't see us unless you see the truck on the road. And you, What happens a lot of times, folks, you're in such a hurry to keep everything going because the margins are so tight. And you, you, you're constantly running, and it would be nice to slow down sometimes. You think, well, that's your own fault. Well, it's part of the nature of the game. And Tom can allude to that, too, as well, that it's not – it's everywhere, and that's why I was hoping to talk more about the the loggers. What his experiences have been like in uh, like in the southeast, up in the up in the lake states. They're they're a lot, pretty much the same. Wouldn't you say, Tom? What's the what would you say is the common thread among all these loggers? Would you guess when you look at it across the world? Well, most you know, most of them are, are smaller family guys. You know, if you want to get a picture of the American family, you can generally look at a logging family. And they're, they're all in it together. And it's an industry where so much of it is passed on. And so if a guy, if you meet a logger, the chances are very high that, how'd you get into it? My dad logged, and I started logging with him, and it's great. And, you know, and you mentioned it's the hidden industry, but it, that really doesn't mean that, that it's hidden by, you know, by choice. It's the nature of it. You, know, you can drive down a, a normal highway, and oh, you, know, you can point out to your kids, "Oh, there's a bulldozer, or there's a backhoe, or hey, there's a there's a farmer in this field." But logging is way back off the beaten path. There's equipment that people have never seen before, doing work they can't imagine being done, and so it's not seen. If the logger takes his lunch break, it's not like the uh, the local banker who walks out and goes down to a local cafe and he sees everybody in the community at the square or whatever. Has lunch, they know who he is. No longer goes to his pickup, finds some sandwich that his wife put together for him in the morning, most likely, or made it himself or whatever, grabs lunch as he's trying to work his loader and goes back to work. So he doesn't have that, that time for the, for the community. And you don't see loggers who have the chance to really be on school boards because they're not getting home until 8 or 9 o'clock, so that doesn't fit in. Exactly. So it's not by exactly. choice that, you know, it's not by choice that they're hidden, it is the industry. And the thing that I, you know, we, we talk to loggers and stuff, and I encourage them, 
they, they don't get as much exposure because really, since people don't know them, they don't ask them. But you will see some guys maybe early morning in a, in a cafeteria, you know, 4.30 in the morning, getting their breakfast before they head to the woods and everything. Well, there's not many others in society that are out at 4.30 in the morning having breakfast. They don't get out there until 7 or 8. So <laughs> right. it's, it's up to loggers to me reach out a little bit. And, uh, and, and, you know, and maybe it's more people like me and you guys who are a little bit more advocates to kind of help encourage them to reach out. If there's retired loggers that are out there, you know, when you go to lunch, don't be afraid to engage somebody about what you did and how the work is done and to let them know, you, you know, it's kind of funny that we have, there's more trees today than there were back in the 1950s and kind of you know, set aside those rumors that, oh, my God, pretty soon, oh, the trees are going to be done. We're going to have plastic trees out there. That's all we'll have. And you can put that to bed. So I don't mean to pontificate too much, but um, those are well. Those no, are you're 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 you're, uh, you're on a good roll here, Tom. A great roll, and I want to I want you to hold that idea, Pete and Tom uh, from uh, Let the Sawdust Fly. Uh, as as uh, Pete knows, we are a commercial radio station. We do have to take a couple of breaks during this uh, the Let the Sawdust Fly segment, and we'll be right back after this quick break. Giant redwood, larch. The fur, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees. I eat Peter, uh, I go to the Peter, did you uh, tell Tom to be prepared to sing along on that song? <laughs> I, don't I don't know if he was or not, but it's uh, kind of catchy. Kind of reminds me of uh, you know the, when you were talking about the guy up there that uh, broke down by Markham and that and. It reminds yeah, me of the, the, yes. the soap lady up there. I, I talked to her folks probably about two, three months ago about could you make a soap that smells like pine, pine, balsamonet. And folks, she did it. She oh. made a soap that smells like pine. And it's You're really something. Me. And so, yeah, uh, Kenny's got the info on Grandma's. Grandma's bubbles. old-fashioned bubbles. Kelly in That's, Markham. Oh. Kelly, yeah. I bought I bought a but I bought a dozen bars of soap from her last week. The sweet grass, or not last week, but last year. But now, if I know she's got pine ones, I'm not call yep. her again. Give her a ring because uh, it's she did it. It does smell like pine. It's an excellent soap, and and I'll give you a little heads up uh, if you want to try the lager style. It's called the lager soap. Okay, you can try it the lager style, and what you do, folks, is you you use it on Saturday <laughs> night. And then you don't shower until next Saturday night, okay? And it'll linger with you for a long time. And then probably around Tuesday or Wednesday, you won't have to have anybody tell you about social distancing or anything. They're going to just automatically do it. So you want to get the full water experience, there you go. But I prefer showering every day. So you can try it anyway, but grab that soap and shower every day. I was going to ask you, Peter, if you used water with that soap, or do you just rub it on your skin dry? <laughs> the bird bath style in the dirt. There you go. But anyway, oh. Tom, he's got a, quite quite a few stories here. And one is, uh, Tom, could you tell him about the time back quite a while ago when you were up in Canada and you saw it for the first time how they preheat machines? This is this is, I know this happens, but it's really interesting. Are you there, Tom? 
Yes, I'm here, and I was I was just cutting my teeth in the industry as back in the uh, uh, early '80s, and uh, I was working for a company called Esco that made grapples uh, to go on the back of skidders when grapples were first being uh, put on the cable skidders, and Esco had a way to uh, you replace the arch on the back and you'd add the uh, the grapple skidder and help make it more productive. Well, I had a, there was a dealer up in Quebec, and I actually I'd taken some language skills back in. Uh, high school and college, so I could dabble in French a little bit. But anyhow, we were up there, and the dealer took us north, and we kept going north, Then we kept going north, and we got up near Lake, uh, Lac Saint-Jean, they call it, up in northern Quebec. And this is in the winter, really smart time to travel. And um, so uh, I'm glad I brought a jacket, which I'd brought 12 more to put on, but I was, uh, I was introduced to what uh, 25 to 30 degree below weather was, which you know a lot of you guys up there are familiar with. Well, we, we went, make our way out to the job site, and the guy's saying, hey, this guy's got, got an old tree farmer skitter. And there's probably a lot of younger guys that aren't familiar with that, but that's, uh, that was one that was made in Canada back in the day. And uh, he was thinking about buying a grapple for us. We're going to go try to sell him a grapple. So we get out there, and uh, the guys are, uh, it's early in the morning. We were there probably about 7.30 in the morning. And uh, the crew was uh, assembled, and they had, uh, they had a small fire going over in one part of the set, uh, a big old, an old skitter tire was there on fire that can burn a long time. So they were kind of warming up there. And then I looked over <clears throat> and I was kind of surprised to see that uh, the skitter that I thought they were going to use, well, there was a fire going on underneath the skitter. I'm looking at well, wait, why, what, what are they burning? I couldn't understand it at all. And a guy, a guy goes over there and throws a couple more logs underneath the skitter. I'm thinking, what the heck are these guys doing? And again, that's, a skitter up. <laughs> uh, that's what I see. I'm thinking, hey, this, this must be the old style. They, they get their insurance to buy them a new one. But the, uh, <laughs> I'm watching for a while, and the flames are slowly coming up. And this is an open cab skitter, okay? This is before enclosed cab. So it's an open ROPS, no doors on the side of it and everything. And these are little French guys. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy, probably like you, Pete, and stuff. So these, are, these guys are maybe 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, and uh, they're kind of watching and everything. And it's like they timed it. As the flames started coming up around the sides of the cab, they kind of look at each other and nod. And I'm just, I'm just in awe. And all of a sudden, one of the little guys go bounds it across the snow, times it, jumps onto the side of the skitter, literally through the flames. I kid you not, catches his foot on one of the steps, up into the cab. He kind of disappears in the flames going, what the hell? And all of a sudden, here, crank up, and he drives it out there. That was how they warmed up the oil pan so the oil would move quick enough and circulate, and they could get it going. And off he went to work. I'm thinking, these guys are tougher than I am ever going to be. So we linger around, and we are, you know, one of the, um, the head guy who was there, uh, we were waiting for him to come in. He had been out cutting some wood by hand already, and they have a small little, and they call them, uh, you know, like, little hothouses. And it looks like an hothouse, but it's a little hothouse, and there's a little potbelly stove in there, and maybe about two small folding chairs uh, that, you know, three guys are crammed in there. Well, we got four in there, and we're kind of sitting back, and they're speaking in French a little bit. I'm picking up some of it. And the, the logger comes in, okay, and this guy looks like he's 80 years old. He's, he's humped over a little bit. He's wearing gloves that are only halfway covering his fingers, the little half gloves that just come down half your fingers. And I'm, I'm just, I'm aghast at this. And he comes in, and he's got this big white beard. 
And he, he sits down in one of the chairs. He's just slumped over. And my gosh, this guy's been just beat to death already. He's still got eight hours to work. And we're sitting back, and there's some conversation. The guy hardly looks up at us. He's kind of looking at the floor and everything. I'm going, man, can't even make eye contact. And then he suddenly, he slowly moves behind him, and he reaches out of something in his back pocket. I'm going, what is this? And he pulls out an ice pick. I'm thinking, what is this? And all of a sudden, the guy swings it at his own face, and he hits his beard with this ice pick. And again and again, he jumped at it. And his beard, the, what had happened is all of the, you know, his, his, the water vapor from his breath slowly forms this massive block of ice in his deep black beard. And it slowly falls loose, and he breaks down on the floor. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and the guy's maybe 40 years old. He's got a heavy black beard. He smiles at us, and he shakes a little bit. I just looked at said, you know, if I ever go down a dark alley in Texas, I want to bring you with me. No, and he, he basically he would go and work for about 15 to 20 minutes. And the timing was when he couldn't hold his head much any longer, he'd come in, knock it out, take a little break, and go back again. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it was fascinating. So, you know, you. How you they deal with cold. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. I'm so like the biggest pansy in the world. I felt like the biggest pansy in the world with those guys, but they were just great people. And, and you know, and again, family people. Here he is, loggers and yep, stuff. That's and, right. Uh, you know, Very good people. Yeah. Guys, hang on, hang on to your thought again for a minute. We got to take our Fox News break. We'll come back with more shortly. WDSM. I think uh, Kenny's uh, a record player needs a little new battery or something. It seems to be dragging a little there with Woodchopper's ball. <laughs> that would make analog look like it's uh, way ahead in the future right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're going uh, to be running out of time here. I'm looking at the clock, and I appreciate it very much. But I wanted uh, Tom to hit on uh, the timber industry, how it's, how it's doing down in the, below the Mason-Dixon line how it's doing up in the lake states and probably up in the upper northeast a little bit. What industries are doing well, Tom, what are not doing well, and just a few reasons why. Because, like, I know the pellets are really going big guns, and folks are going to want to know out there how things are looking from your standpoint, what you see. Sure, and I appreciate that. You know, the south, uh, there's a difference in loggers, of course, in each little sector. Uh, up north, uh, the guys that are working a lot of cut the length or hardwood tracks and those kinds of uh, applications, they're more of a quality-based uh, logging. In other words, they can usually, they do well if they can get uh, three to four loads out a day. Uh, they can usually uh, work a profitable operation. In the south, the mills don't pay the loggers quite as much as in a, as a general rule. And so it's more of a production-based thing. A logger down in the south is usually trying to get 10 to 12 You'll come across guys who are getting 15 loads a day because they're just not getting quite the amount per ton. <clears throat> the other issue in the South is, unfortunately, um, you know, the challenge with loggers is, is loggers are independent. And so they're not organized. They are independent contractors who compete against each other. 
in this you know in this world of logging in a, in a friendly way. But they, they they hope there's always enough demand for everybody everybody to have plenty of work. But invariably, you know, mills will take on more loggers than they need when they need more wood. And then when it starts to slow down, there's too many loggers that are out there. And that's kind of the case we have in the South right now is there's an abundance of logging contractors. And that starts to do harm to your, your more regular family loggers who have been out there. It just uh, it, it takes away some of the demand. And again, because they're not organized, you know, it's not like they can all sit back. And let's, let's just sit back and not deliver any wood for a few weeks. It doesn't work that way. The mill will find other sources for the wood, and so you, you can't – it's very difficult to bring pressure on them. So you hope from relationships between the mills and the loggers they can find a, uh, a good way to meet in the middle and, and work that. But <clears throat> wood fiber demand in the south is, is still strong. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, you, grow, you, you basically can grow a southern pine tree. Uh, you can grow a 15- to 17-inch tree in about 20 years. And so, you, you know, you have a, a renewable resource. And I think I've heard previous uh, uh, speakers on your program talk about, you know, how the South works that way. And many families own timber that are there. You have a very high privately held industry, not publicly held in the South, as compared to the West Coast, where you have so much public lands that you have government officials get involved in, in all the different requirements. This is the issue you see in California right now. Uh, government agencies are uh, they, they get their impression from uh, Sierra Club people. I'm not trying to disparage anybody in particular, but if you if you have an opinion that may not necessarily be based in complete fact, but you have time to lobby a state representative about how oh my gosh you, you can't cut all these trees we got you know there's not enough of them and you don't worry about managing the forest don't worry about all this debris and 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 excessive fuel that's on the floor of your forest. Don't worry about that. It, it'll be fine. But then a uh, forest fire comes along and takes out so much, so much timber, so many homes, and people don't understand. Had, had loggers been in there overseeing this and managing all that timber in California, there's, there's oh. Colorado. All together, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, I, I agree with and you 100%, about, Tom. It would be an altogether different deal. You would find logging roads going back in there that would help create permanent fire breaks that would keep the fire from just spreading randomly willy-nilly all over california's hillsides would be a different deal but california doesn't manage its forest industry they try to shut it down and control it as harshly as they can and you know pete i know you're always struggling with that kind of stuff up here in the northland true to try to keep government as far out of the wood industry as you can yeah because we know what to do we know it works we've lived it our whole lives loggers know what to do where the problem lies a lot of times is folks get in the way that don't know what to do and that's the big problem that's in any industry folks any industry yeah you're gonna always have one here there that's a bad apple but that's life you just gotta adapt to move on you know but um, no, there's, there's Tom's got a lot of more stories too, and but uh, we'll just definitely have to have him back on again because it's. it's uh, I think it's you're gonna. He's got. He's. Yeah, he's got a great. Uh, he's got a great repertoire of stories. I think he would be great to have as a cus- as one of your uh, uh, co-hosts coming back on a second time this next year for sure. Yes, definitely, definitely, because uh, we didn't even get to Russia or Mexico or Brazil. We didn't get to those yet, Tom. 
<laughs> well, usually, usually by now, my wife is kicking me, or my kids are telling me, "Just shut up, stop talking." You know, so it's uh, I, I enjoy I I enjoy the industry, I enjoy the people that I see, and it's um it, it's a pleasure. And so, what you guys do here, uh, I'd love to see more radio stations pick this up, and maybe there are you know across the country, but this is really the first one that I've you know been able to have a chance to interact with, and it's it's. It's a great well, value. I think so I appreciate what you guys. I, I, I'll tell you what, with Tom, with uh, with Peter's help, I think we have been able to lead the way in uh, in making a venue available for logging industry. And I I hope, like you, I hope other stations will pick it up. I hope other industry uh, uh, sponsors will see the need for it and and will jump on the bandwagon as well. But it's, Peter, it's very wanna, much. Yeah, it, no, real quick, it is well, very much needed. And we hoped other people would listen in. And I was only joking about what I got when I was getting into this. What did I get into? I'm very thankful that you, Brad, have let me and Kenny let let us on on a regular basis because it's been a great thing to keep pushing out there about the timber industry. And I just want to thank the folks out there. They're willing to take time and listen in. A little snapshot of what it's like from our end of the country and the world. Absolutely. And our industry. Absolutely. Well, and thank you, Peter Wood, for the uh, years of service that you have given to this show already. And I hope you'll be doing it for many, many more because it has given a lot of people in the Northland the opportunity to pay attention to loggers as they drive by on the road if they see them or if they see them in a restaurant pulled over. Uh, they look at their equipment. They look at their gear. They know how much uh, they've invested in our life and in our Northland. And uh, with Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow, uh, I am so thankful for the opportunity to have met you, Peter, and to put you on to this show once a month for sure, uh, because a lot of people have been made aware of what the logging industry is all about, and they're going to be made more aware of it in the years to come. So, Peter Woods, uh, Tom Hurt, thank you so much from Texas this morning. In-